So there have been very few times that I've ever, um, ever really pounded giving um, in front of you guys. I grew up in a church that constantly talked about it, um, and um, I've been a part of churches that took up multiple offerings in the same service, um, and it's just not something that I, I have felt the Holy Spirit to lead me to do, so thank God for that, guys. Um, but there is, there, is an, there is a side of this that um, I, I think that we as a church uh, should know. Uh, there's a side that uh, we're only roughly seeing about a third of the church that's actually giving um, pretty, pretty regularly or consistently. And in order for us to continue to operate, in order for us to have lights on and have heat uh, for those of you who get cold in the winter and, and air conditioning for those of you who get hot in the summer, uh, we have operating costs here. And so I, you may be in here and you, you may be on the brink of like, what do I give? Do I give more? Do I not give? What does this look like? And so I hope today uh, to encourage you with the story of a couple here in our church. Uh, my family and I had the opportunity to sit with them last night for dinner. Um, and just talk about all of the ways that God has blessed, uh, blessed family, blessed our lives. Um, and so I'm going to actually ask them to come at this time. Um, so if you guys would uh, welcome the Deckers, uh, Tara and Travis, to the stage. So I have, I've asked um, Tara and Travis to come and um, to share. Love you. Love you too. Um, I've asked Tara and Travis to come and just share uh, what changed for them in their life, uh, what made them start giving uh, to the church, and how God used that giving to, to bless their, their marriage, to bless their family, uh, even to the point where we see them now, um, they're, they're faithfully serving. Um, Travis is um, an awesome guy. I've gotten to know him over the last year uh, very well. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for their heart. Uh, I'm grateful for their marriage. Uh, love their children uh, to death. Um, Ivan and Isaac back there. Uh, yep, you can wave like, hey, that's me. <laughs> and so I just want to turn it over to you guys. Um, and, and you guys can just begin to share what you guys shared with my wife and I last night about the way that God um, has used um, your tithes and, and really just blessed you, blessed the church, blessed people um, in that. And then um, I'll just take back over when you're done. Are you, you are? Okay. I think so. Um, we'll come and pound the message of giving, but for a good reason. Um, we did not, neither of us, grow up in church. I, I did periodically. Travis, not at all. Um, we started faithfully attending when Isaac was 18 months old. He's 13 now. Um, but when we were attending, we, you know, the plate was passed and we faithfully gave an offering. Nothing close to a tithe, but we felt we were doing our, our part in what we needed to do. We did what we thought everyone else was doing, put some money in the plate. Um, fast forward a few years, I heard a message on WCSG about tithing and um, that it might be a stretch from your offering to tithe, so just increase. So we doubled our offering, and we're doing good. <laughs> um, we watched a service here at the well. It was a four-week video series that just made me cringe. I um. had finger marks in my legs for like four <laughs> weeks from that because the thing is, is Tara grew up in a family where they knew money as a way of getting by week to week. You know, her family is farmers. For me, mine was more of if we had $5 at the end of the week to go get ice cream, 
we've succeeded. We've done what we've done. My, I've never been a big money guy. Like, I'm like, if we got it, we got it. If we don't, we don't. Something will come up, whatever. If they throw us, throw me in jail for it, whatever. I don't care. The bills, we'll figure it out. And her security's <laughs> always been finances. She's always done the finances in the home. God bless her, because we would be out on the street if it was me. <laughs> so that's kind of where the background comes in as far as the two of us coming into the marriage. And obviously I had my junk and she had her junk, but that's where God was kind of trying to show us that if you do this and if you keep listening and you keep following your hearts as far as what I'm trying to tell you and show you, things are going to miraculously change. So he credits me for running our finances, which I was running them into the ground. Um, we were married. We both had really great jobs. We had our first son. He, we were blessed. Grandma did daycare. Um, he was working a ton of mandatory overtime. We bought two new cars. Had our second baby. Mandatory overtime is gone. Grandma daycare is gone. Infant and three-year-old in full-time daycare. Um, so I was... I couldn't imagine not paying a bill, so the money had to come from somewhere. So I was writing cash advance checks from our credit card company to cover our daily expenses, weekly, monthly. Bills had to be paid. Um, Travis had no idea. So when he is feeling moved by these messages of tithing, I'm going, there's no way. We don't have it. It's not there. We don't have more than this double offering that we're giving. Um, we heard a better message or challenge or call to tithe, I believe, by the pools. I could be wrong. Um, but it, was, it moved me better. <laughs> um, and so we had given our offering, and I was sitting at work one day, and I just felt like, let's figure out the difference. I didn't even know. I didn't know how far from our double offering to our tithe, but I figured it out. And I went online and I paid the difference and I texted Travis. I said, we've tithed for the first time. We'll see what God can do. I don't know. I don't know what the rest of this pay period looks like, but we've done it. I literally had to look at that text like three times because the dollar amount, I'm like, she must have typoed. You know, I'm like, okay, I get it. But then like, I was in tears because I'm like, you know, with all the junk that we had still going on in our marriage, God is working through her to be able to show us that we can do this. And, you know, like she said, we both had really good jobs. And to be honest, we were kind of miserable at that point. Yeah. We had more money than we knew what to do with, and we were miserable as a family and as a couple. And obviously there was other demons and stuff involved in that. But it was like, you know... I trusted her with the finances, and it didn't It didn't really surprise me at all that she figured out a way to make things work, because that's what she did. So Not well. But, <laughs> so that was March of 2016. By May of 2016, the wheels fell completely off. Um, we had a negative in our checking account, and a cash advance wasn't working this time that bank thankfully did not clear that check um i was forced to come clean with travis about how much i thought we were in trouble um the real figures came out in august when we actually sat down and refinanced our home and fixed things but from march we faithfully tithed 
May, the wheels fell off. We had to borrow a substantial amount of money from my parents, which I had never done, even as an 18-year-old, let alone, I don't know how old I was in 19, or in 2016, but an adult with two children and a husband. And we were camping that weekend, and I had went to go pay the rest of the deposit for the campground. And she looked at the phone, and she, I mean, she broke down in tears. Like, she was frantic, and I'm like, you know, did the truck, you know, did something break on the camper, you know, what, you know, the tents, what was it? And she came to me with it, and I'm just like, you know, for me, it was one of those things where I'm like, yes, it's a lot of money, but for me, it was kind of like, and granted, I'm not a, I jump off the handle a lot with a lot of different things, but for this, for me, it was kind of like, okay, you know, I'm like, it's money, it's not our lives. And for her, it was a complete breakdown because that was her security. That's where she came from. And it kind of, I think, took the next step for both of us to realize that it's not because of the fact that we're tithing that we're broke. <laughs> but it's because of the fact that we're tithing that it's going to start making miracles happen in our family and in our church and in our community and in our marriage and in our family. Yeah, and I... I've extended my thankfulness to him so many times because he handled it so graciously. I felt like a complete failure, and he just lifted me up, and we're going to be fine. It's, it'll work out. We'll be okay. You didn't need to carry this burden alone. And so, you know, that was seven, six years ago, six yep. years ago. Yep. And, you know, our finances are on track. We've worked a budget. <laughs> we... He lost his really good paying job and lost $15 an hour, and we were okay. There was there was some panic. There, there was, was a lot of panic. There was a lot of a panic. Lot. And um. mostly, and mostly now, to put this kind of in perspective, you know, things weren't all hunky-dory even though we started tithing. You know, 2019, Tara and I separated in January. And I went from that wonderful $26 an hour job to $11 an hour working through a temp agency. I was living with my mom and dad. She was living at home with the boys and we were taking turns back and forth. And uh, at that point, it was pretty much... <laughs> at, <laughs> Brought us through it. <laughs> at that point, I was like, okay, God, you have to show us a miracle here. You have to. And the $11 an hour changed into something else, and it changed into something else more, thank goodness. And we had realized that <laughs> it wasn't the money that we were giving that made the difference in our marriage. It was the commitment and the faithfulness to God that was making the difference. Yeah, that was definitely one thing that I was clinging to, and... Once I had it fixed, I would give it to God, or I would come clean to Travis. Um, but I wanted to do it on my own. I felt like I made the mess on my own, and I could just fix it. Um, but, yeah, thankfully, what happened in 2016 got us through what happened in 2019. Um, and, I mean, God just shows up. He, yeah. I, we, while we were separated, I had a kidney stone. The worst one I've had, I had to have a surgery. Um, Travis is the one that I wanted to be there with me, and... My parents, after hearing all our junk, totally understood that, and he was there with my parents, and 
you know, things weren't good, but I knew he was the one that I wanted to be there with me. And I mean, it's just, you do that one thing, stepping out in faith and find out where God shows up. And there's a couple other things that came to light too, as far as um, we'd always kind of talked about doing one of those sponsor kids that you hear and you're like, oh, it's only $30 a month. And I'm like, okay, that's over $300 a year. That's out. <laughs> and one day during my birthday, I was driving into work and Tara, I'd called Tara and I said, hey, I just heard a message from WCSG. You know, they're doing their sponsorship. And she's like, oh, that's great. She goes, I just signed us up for one. I was like, <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. You know, I was really excited. You know, he's like, you know, his name's Yasser. He's from uh, Columbia. You know, he's got the same close birth date as you, but it's in October, and Ivan's birthday's in October. And I'm like, oh, our, our anniversary's in October. This is great. So, mind you, this was while we still had our good jobs. Mm -hmm. No? Mm -hmm. No? It was after. It was after. I'm sorry. That's why I can't keep track of everything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, fast forward, you know, we're on our third sponsor child. And if you do the math, it's over $900 a year. I took a $15 pay cut at one point. I'm still down $10, $11 from where I originally was. And I'm not working hardly any overtime. And I can pretty much say, and I'm sure Isaac and Ivan would agree, that our family is happier now than it's been when we were making a ton of money. And a lot of it has to do with our church family. You know, a lot of the people that were there through things, you know, the Davises walked through us a bunch of things, you know, and Rick and Kim and everybody was just so important in our lives. And it just, for us, it's not about the finances. So if you're sitting out there today saying, oh, well, I only make $150 a week if I give $15. Well, you know what, that $15 for you could be $35 for somebody else down the road it could multiply the pay it forward kind of thing and I we don't we don't question it anymore I say just talk to somebody about it try it increase yeah. it um, you know whatever you feel like God is calling you to do but whenever I hear people saying that they're struggling with finances that's what I recommend yeah. is tithe watch what God can do yeah. You know, obviously it helps your church, but it definitely helps, helps your, your home. Family. And especially you younger kids that are not kids, but you 18s and above, <laughs> you know, if you have a job, now. if you have a job, if you start now, it's not even going to be an issue because you'll be like, oh, you know, it's already in my budget. You know, I can go have fun because I've already taken that out and stuff of that nature. So, um, and like Tara and I said, we don't want this to be a message of just pounding the finances because that's not really what it's about. It's more of the commitment of your relationship with Christ. And in the church, outside of the church, community aspect-wise, um, and if you have any questions, if you want somebody to talk to you about it, if you're in desperate need, don't be afraid. Tara and I, you know, we've come a long ways. Three, four years ago, this never would have happened. <laughs> We never would have been here. Um, and we just want you guys to know, seriously, if you have questions about it, as far as what it's done for our family, faith, um, we're more than welcome to talk about it. We're kind of an open book on it. And it's not easy, but once you start, you pretty much 
it's common ground, it's common habit, you know, and the dollar amount isn't the important part. That's what I really feel Tara and I have gotten to the point where it's like, if God's leading you to say, put that $100 in, I, bl- I promise I'll bless you tenfold. He's going to bless you tenfold. may not be financially, but he's going to bless you somehow tenfold. And it could be in your family. It could be, you know, generational blessings. It could be whatever it could be. So thank you. Awesome. Well, you guys give it up for Tara and Travis. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was um, great last night to be able to just sit with them um, and share even beyond that um, about the things that have happened in their, their life, their marriage with their kids, uh, and, and how all of those things transpired after, um, after they began uh, to submit to God, uh, not just in, in the way of tithing, but just submitting their life uh, to God, giving, giving Him everything. So um, I just want to challenge you. There are multiple ways that you can give here uh, to the church, to the work of God in and through this place. You can do so online on the website. You can uh, text the number that was on the screen or is on the screen now. Um, and we also have giving boxes there um, in the back. So if you would please turn with me to the book um, of Genesis. That's right. Uh, we are in week number six, week number six in our series Lessons uh, from Genesis. And we've looked at multiple different um, characters, people, um, and accounts in Scripture. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to look at one uh, that ties in a little bit with what the Deckers were sharing. The, the Deckers had to take a step of faith uh, in their finances and begin to give to God and His church. Um, they had to take a step uh, to see what God was going to do. How was God going to respond through this? So today, we're going to be talking about faith. The whole, the whole series Um, We've seen moments of faith um, in God, but today we're going to see something a little bit different, a little bit out of the box. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. Do you know outside of Christ, Abraham may be one of the most significant characters in the entire Bible. I mean, in terms of space, um, the the first 11 chapters of Genesis are devoted to uh, human history. But then the next 14 chapters of Genesis are are devoted and given to the life of one man, a man by the name of Abraham. And and, in so many passages of scriptures, we hear Abraham being called the father of faith. We hear Abraham being called a friend of God, and, and he is one of the first clear examples of justification by faith that we see in scripture. Now, Abram would certainly become a giant of faith, even being the father of the believing, as Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 3. But he did not start out as a hero of the faith. Abram did not start in that place. We will see over the next several weeks that he was a man who I would call an example of growing in faith and growing in obedience. This would be the perfect picture of Abraham, but more importantly than Abraham's faith is the promises of God that we're going to see today. More importantly than his faith is those promises of God. Do you know Genesis chapter 11, as we saw last week, was all about the plans of man. 
This week we're going to see everything about the plans of God. So if you would turn with me to Genesis 12 if you're not already there. And we're going to go ahead and start in verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I want us to just stop right there for just a moment before we go any further. Look and notice how many times God says I will. I will bless you. I will make a name for you. I will give you a nation. These so many times God is saying, I will. And in these first three verses, we see how God promised Abraham three very specific things. First, God promised Abram a land. And not just any land, but specifically the land of Canaan, which is what would be called Greater Israel. So the land, greater Israel, was given to Abram. The, the second thing that he promised was a nation. A nation was promised to Abram. And this nation would come because Abram would have children and grandchildren and even further descendants beyond that. So enough that would occupy this, this land that was given to him. And the last thing that he promised him, uh, essentially here, was to bless Abraham and to make his name great. Do you know there is probably no uh, more honored name in the history of mankind outside of Christ than that of Abram? He is, he is praised and or talked about and honored by Jews, by Muslims, and by Christians alike still to this day. And we're going to see next week why that is. Why is he honored and, and praised uh, by those three groups? But God promised that he would bless those who blessed him and he would curse those who cursed him. Do you not know the promise that, that it was inherited by the descendants of Abraham? The, the Jewish people remain today in, in the root reason for the decline and deaths of so many people and so many nations because of the Jews. Now, I'm not saying that the Jews attacked and caused the downfall, but those who attacked the Jewish nation at various times saw the downfall uh, of their empire, uh, their empire. Do you know when the Greeks overran Palestine and desecrated the altar in the Jewish temple, they were soon conquered by Rome. Their, their, their entire empire was fallen after that. In Rome, when Rome killed Paul and many others and they destroyed Jerusalem under Titus, Rome fell. You guys following with me? Every time someone attacked those of the Jewish nation, their entire empire was destroyed. Spain. Spain was reduced, reduced by almost four-fifths of what they first owned after the Inquisition. Why? Because they attacked the Jews. That was the Spanish Inquisition, the attack on Jews. Poland fell after the pogroms. Nazi Germany fell. After they followed after anti-Semitism, Germany fell. Their, their nation was completely crushed. Britain lost its empire after it turned away from the Jewish nation. That is why uh, America, the United States, is the way that it has been for so long. Why? Because it was one of the first modern nations to grant full citizenship and protection to anyone from a Jewish nation the United States. But that promise has also affected the church. 
Do you know the time when the church took it upon itself, the persecution of the Jewish people, were probably some of the darkest times in the church's history? Not only for the Jews, but for those who stood up for the Jews. Those who tried to protect. They were attacked. They were belittled by nations who would soon fall. So not only was Abram promised blessing, but God also promised he would make him a blessing to other people. He would make him a blessing to other people. You know, even to the point where all of the families of the earth would be blessed through Abram. Blessed through him. Do you know that this was an amazing promise that was fulfilled in the Messiah? Why? Because he came from Abraham's lineage. Jesus Christ did. Do you know God blessed Abraham not for his own sake, but for the sake of everybody else? For the sake of everybody else. It was the whole world for all of the families of the earth through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 3, the, the verse that's going to come to the screen, and it says... And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The blessing that came through him, which is why John also spoke in the book of Revelation chapter 5, saying this, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of what? Every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. It's a picture how every single person that was a part of God's created order was blessed through the person of Abraham. He was blessed to be a blessing to other people. You know, the work of Jesus will touch every people group on the earth. This is also an indication to us that there was a missionary vision that was given by God, intended for every person who came as a descendant of Abraham, meaning all of us have a missionary journey that we are to be on. I don't necessarily mean that we're going to go to some third world country, as most of us probably will not be called to go to Africa or to Asia but we do and can be a missionary right here in Ionia, in our workplaces, in our circles of influence. As we read through Scripture, that time and time again, when we look beyond ourselves, we see those who are lost, broken, and hurting, those who need to be blessed by those of us who are in the family of Christ, who have come from the line of Abraham. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is that faith is relying on God's promises. Faith is relying on God's promises. You know the call of Abraham was a call to faith. It was a call to faith. God called him to give up everything that he had that represented safety. Everything that represented security. Everything that represented comfort, even his own inheritance, he was called to give up. His country, his people, his father's house, and he was to go into an unknown land that he did not even know anything about. And he could only take with him what he could carry, or what his, his family could carry. In a nutshell, God was calling Abram here to live a nomadic life. A life that would give up everything that would normally provide personal and financial security. Give it all up. 
And he had nothing to rely upon except for the promises that God gave to him. Church, I want you to note something very, very important. I want you to write it down. Faith is living with the reality that God is the one who takes responsibility for our well-beings. That's, I want you to note that. Write it down. Highlight it. Do something so that you don't forget it. Faith is living with the reality that God is the one who takes responsibility for our well-being. There is nothing that you and I can do to ensure our well-being. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. We can take steps to follow in obedience, but God is the one sovereign over us. You know, Abraham could leave his homeland because he was convinced that God had something better for him. Something better it was easy, it was easy for myself in multiple times in my life, and it's easy for us as, as believers to become so comfortable with the world that we're no longer strangers and aliens here, as the Bible calls us to be. How many of you have ever found yourself in a moment or an opportunity or a season where you just got a little too comfortable with the world? Just a little too comfortable. I love the fact that we're called strangers in the Bible. I love the fact that we're called aliens in the Bible. Meaning this is not our final destination. This is not our final home here. We see throughout scripture over and over again, especially here in the life of Abram, that promises by God are not maybes. Promises by God are not maybes. Trusting in God is not like gambling or making a bet hoping that you're going to win. But, but trusting in the promises of God we know to be reliable and certain. Reliable and certain promises of God. But look what happens next in verse number 4. And it says, so Abram went as the, he responded to God. And it says that he went as the Lord told him. Now most of us would stop and be like, oh, Abraham was obedient. He took his family, and he did exactly what God told him to do. He left, but I want us to look at the rest of the verse. And it says, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Wait, Lot went with him? I thought God told him to leave his father's house. I thought God told him to leave his kindred. Well, why, is, why is his nephew going with him on this journey. Do you know what we see here in the life of Abram is partial obedience. Partial, and I want you to know, partial obedience is not just obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. That's what we see here. We see partial obedience by Abram. God commanded him to leave his family, and yet he brought his nephew with him. And if you continue reading in the book of Genesis, you will soon see that Lot would not be a blessing to Abraham nor his family. If anything, he caused trouble and inconvenience at every step of the way. And that's exactly what we see in our lives. Isn't it true, believer? When you're only half obedient, when you're disobedient to God, what happens? Trouble, inconvenience, over and over again. Why? Because our sin affects every single thing that we do. And our sin never just affects us. It affects everything around us. Why? Because we never sin alone. We never sin alone. Now I want you to see in verse number 5 what occurs. And Abram took um, Sarai, his wife, 
and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, I want us to stop right there for just a moment. Abraham came into Canaan as a stranger. A stranger to, the, to, to live in a land that was populated by tribes that were set in their ways of violence and sinfulness. And we will soon discover in just a, a few chapters later in the book of Genesis that Canaan would become far worse than what Abraham would have even known in this very moment of time. Canaan was awful. They worshipped idols. And they killed and sacrificed small children. This is what we see in the life of Canaan. And so here we are, Abram, walking into Canaan in this place that is set in violence and sin. And look what happens in verse number 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So he, he's in the midst of Canaan here. In this, in this first stopping point, and he comes to a notable oak tree, or in some versions it says terebinth, of the tree of Morah. Now, I want you to know that the name Shechem means shoulder. The same, that, that name Shechem means shoulder. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, because it's a very, very important place in both the Old and the New Testament. Do you know that Shechem was not only in the midst of two mountains, but it was also in the very center of Canaan. The very centerpiece of Canaan was, was Shechem, this tree here. This very location is where Jacob would come safely when he returned with his wives and children from his sojourn with Laban. It's the very same location as we would see in Genesis chapter 38. This is the exact place where Jacob built an altar to the Lord and established the connection between Jacob and what we know as Jacob's well. Shechem was the place where Jacob's daughter was raped and his sons massacred everybody because of it. This very location here. This very location was the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. This was the very same location where Joseph's bones would have been married at the end of Genesis when he was brought up from Egypt. The same exact place. This is also the same place where Joshua made the covenant with the Israelites and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Same exact location. Same one. But you want to know what's even greater than all of those? Shechem's New Testament name is the place of Sychar. Who remembers where Sychar is? What occurs? It's the very place where Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. The same exact location. Time and time again, crucial and important things to our, our Christianity, to our Bible occur at this one main place. It was a place of great significance. So Abram came to the land that God promised and yet, the Canaanites were still in it. Do you know, they had no intention of giving up that land to Abram. None. They would actually be forced out of that land 400 years after this point. So I want us to see the next thing is that faith experiences obstacles. Faith experiences obstacles. You guys ever had a moment in which your faith experienced an obstacle? 
You didn't know what to do. You didn't know where to go. You didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know what next step you needed to take. You didn't know if your marriage was going to make it. You didn't know if you were going to kill one of your kids before they got out of your house. Anybody? Like just, just me? Abraham, yes, yes, glory. Abraham demonstrated phenomenal faith and God blessed him for it. But that does not mean that everything went smoothly. Quite the contrary. Abraham did not know where he was going. God did not disclose anything to him when he left. He just said, go. God I've found in my life that God rarely gives us all the details of the journey that he's called us to. He rarely gives us all the details. That's why faith is required in this life. That's why faith is required to follow after God. But it poses a question to us today as a church, as believers, as those who follow God. Do, do I truly trust that God will always look out for me and take care of me even when I don't know what lies ahead? Do I truly trust that? Even when I can't see around the bend, do I trust that God's going to provide? Do I trust that he's going he's to see me through? Faith is not just believing in God, but it's believing God. Faith is not just believing in God, church. It's believing God. It's believing God. You know, I, I um, was sharing, I'm going to try to get through this. I was sharing with the prayer team this morning that um, these last several months uh, have been probably some of the most difficult of my life. And more often than I would even care to admit, I've had moments where I have questioned my faith in God. Moments where I didn't know what was next. What's the next obstacle, God, that you're going to put in my way? What's the next situation? What's the next issue or problem? Is treatment even going to work? Am I going to leave my wife and four young, beautiful children here? Or are my parents going to have to bury another one of their sons? All questions that I've asked of God. Moments where I've had to ask of God to give me the strength just for five more minutes today. God, give me, give me hope when I feel like there's nothing hopeful here. And I came across a, a verse in Psalm 118 written by David. And he said, it's better to trust in the Lord than to place my confidence in men. And I remember reading that verse before I walked into the doctor um, almost a month ago. 
okay, God, I know that you use doctors. I know that you use modern medicine to heal people, but I also know that you can touch my body. And I've learned in these last couple of months that though things have been difficult and though we may walk through trials in our life and though things may seem like they're never going to end, like, like there's is always going to be darkest. There's, it's always just going to keep getting darker in our lives. We have to remember to come back and place our trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. I believe that Solomon said it best, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and what comes from that. But he guides or he directs our paths. Why over and over and over are we given promises by God and yet how often do we not walk in those promises? I don't know if God's done with my life here on this earth. And if he is, then I will rejoice to stand in his presence. But until I'm gone, I have to learn to trust. I have to walk in faith here in the midst of my obstacles. I have to continue to press in. And church, we as a, as a body of believers have to continue to press into God every single moment that another obstacle comes our way. Why? Because God doesn't change. God doesn't fail. God always comes through. It may not be the way that we want it or the way that we think it should, but God always comes through for us, always in the best and the most perfect of ways. So church, it is better to trust in the Lord than to place your confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord. I believe David knew that to be true. When he penned those words, it's better to trust in the Lord. I knew that no doubt he had probably learned it through some experience of bitter disappointment in his life. And he's saying in this moment of time to resonate with us that neither man nor even self among those men could help in any way greater than God. He's saying for this moment that it's better for us to trust in God. But why? Why is it better? Well, it's better because it's much wiser. It's better to trust in God because it's way safer, way safer to trust in God. It's better morally for us to trust in God. It's better in its direction and the way that it guides us. And it's always, always far better in its outcomes. So much better. And I, I sit and I think about this and I think about how even Jesus knew this by his own experience as his disciples forsook him on the cross. Even leaders of that day that were sympathetic to Jesus didn't show up. They, they, didn't, they didn't come and give help to Jesus during his suffering or his crucifixion. I, I think of, of Joseph of Arimathea. I think of Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus because he wanted to know, and he was a Pharisee. But they didn't, they didn't give him help in his suffering. I believe that's why Paul encouraged the church at Rome in the midst of suffering that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound 
in hope. You may be abound and in this place where it's never ending, this limitless hope that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit in us. How many of you have ever been in a place where you felt completely and utterly hopeless? doesn't matter what it is. And then someone came and encouraged you with something. Or you heard a worship song that stirred in your spirit. Or you were reading scripture and something just burned off of those pages and into your heart in that very moment of time. Anyone ever experienced that? And all of a sudden your hope, your hope level has just filled you completely up and you feel you're invincible, you're unstoppable. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit worked in you to refresh you. And that very moment of time, Paul was never trying to communicate. David was never trying to communicate. Moses never was trying to communicate to believers to, to only trust in men or to trust in government, but they always pointed back, trust in God, trust in God. Faith leads us to trusting in God. But look what happens in verse number 7. Look, it's such an amazing turn of events that we begin to see. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with altar on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of of the Lord and Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Now, I want us to stop here for a moment. Once Abram was in the land, God reminded him again of the promise. He said it over. The land Abram saw was with his physical sight. He got to physically see the promised land. In that moment of time, he got to see and said, this is going to be it for your family. This is the land right here that I'm going to give to your descendants. But look at how Abraham responded. Look, look, he, he built an altar. He built an altar. You know, the, the altar was important to Abram because it was a place where he got to meet God. That's what the Old Testament altar was. The place to, yes, sacrifice for sin, but to show submission to God and to worship God. And I love, 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 love it. If you don't have an altar, and I don't mean a physical altar, but Christians have altars. We, we have places that we meet with God. We, we have places where we confess our sins. We have places where we worship God. Some people call them prayer closets. But that's, that's what that is. It's, it's a place where, where we're showing submission to God. I, I encourage you, if you don't have that place, get it. Find it. Find a place where you can get alone with God, with no distractions, where you can worship Him, where you can confess to Him, where you can submit to Him. Find the place. Find the place. I want us, though, to take notice of something that we must learn from Abram. It said that he pitched his tent in the hill country, you know, even though that God had given this land to him, Abraham never lived in a house. Abraham always lived in a tent. Abraham always lived in a tent. But why? 
Why? Well, because tents were the homes of those who were just passing through. They were, they were the homes of those who were just passing through. He never wanted to put down permanent roots here on the earth. Never. I love the term that's used of Abraham. The term that should be used of us as believers, but the term pilgrim. Such negative connotations anymore in our culture, the term pilgrim. You know, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we should be like tent dwellers. We should be pilgrims upon the earth. We, we should be a people who live with their permanent location, not here, but that of heaven. We should be the, the tent dwellers. The, the, the pilgrim is the one who is, is someone who leaves home to go to a final destination, but they don't stop and, and permanently stay in one place long. They continue to journey on and on and on. And so sad in my mind is that too many Christians think that they would rather have the mansion here and live in the tent in heaven. But we have it so backwards that the Christian should live in the tent here. Why? So that we can enter the mansion that God has created for us in a place of perfection alongside of him where we will be able to worship in a place that all they do is worship. We will be in the very presence of God, seeing the glory that surrounds the throne so beautifully. We see over and over these wonderful pictures in the book of Revelation on, on the lights that emanate from the throne. You know, the pilgrims are not a drifter here in this earth. But pilgrims, they have a goal. Abram, he had the goal of reaching the heavenly city. And as believers, that should be our goal too. We're walking our journey to get to the heavenly city. Man, who's excited? Who's excited about getting to that place? No more pain. I'm excited for that. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more death. No more funerals, but family reunions. Family reunions in the place of heaven. So I want us to see this morning is that faith keeps us moving forward. Faith keeps us moving forward. It says... In verse number 9, and Abram journeyed on, still going towards, and again, he didn't stop. He wanted to keep moving. You know, we're going to see over and over and over that God speaks to Abram along his journey at different points, constantly reaffirming the promise that he gave. Over and over does he reaffirm it. He, he says, Abram, th this land is going to go to your children right here. The one that you're looking at in this very moment of time. And God, every time God speaks, Abram responds. Every time. Every time he, he speaks, Abram does something. But notice he does not stop. 
He doesn't settle down. He always keeps moving. How often in your journey of faith does God make his presence known to us to reassure us and encourage us that we're on the right path? Anybody ever experienced that before in their life? It comes maybe by the still small voice of God, or maybe it comes through an individual in your life, but you know it's God speaking and it breathes life into your spirit. But those two things that we saw, I don't want us to forget them. He built an altar and he pitched a tent. He built an altar and he pitched a tent. The altar was permanent. The tent was temporary. The altar was permanent. It means that I have confidence in God. I'm going to worship you in this place, but I'm going to keep moving until you tell me I'm done here. I'm not going to stop. The, the, the altar being built commemorated his encounter with God, and he pitched his tent because he was on a journey and didn't want to stop short to the end of that journey. But look at verse number 10. Here we're going to see how Abram responds again. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was so severe. Now I want us to stop for just a moment. The, the famine was a serious problem. This is probably uh, one of the moments in time where people began to die of hunger, and it was right for Abram to be concerned about how he was going to take care of his family and, and feed them. But Abraham was wrong in thinking that God would not provide for his needs here in this moment of time in a place where God had called him to. And so after all, God called Abram to Canaan, not to Egypt. So Abram does his own thing yet again, like most of us. We find it easier to trust God in the far-off promises than in the right-now need. Anyone ever find them? It's easier to trust God in that far-off promise, but not right, right now, right now when I need it. I, I struggle to trust God here in this very moment of time. And when we're tested in this way, we often believe our actions are right because they cause no harm. Or we think that no harm is going to come from them. Do you know that God blessed and protected Abram, even in Egypt? But he came away with excess baggage. He came away with a rebuke from a pagan king. Harm came from that trip in Egypt. And we're going to see next week that it's going to show up as a slave girl by the name of Hagar who essentially destroys the family and causes great problems. I know we're running a little late, so let's try to get through this real quick. When, in verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt... He said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, Abraham was concerned about his 60-year-old wife's attractiveness to the Egyptians, and he says, tell them you're my sister, and now, if you actually read in about eight chapters forward from here, you know that this was in fact a half-truth. This is a half-truth. Um, Sarai was Abram's half-sister. It was a half-truth, yet it was a whole lie. 
The whole thing that Abraham said, his intent was to clearly deceive somebody. He, he trusted in his deception to protect him rather than trusting in God. If we want to do something wrong, we will always find good reasons to do the wrong thing. Always. If we can't think of a reason by ourselves, then guess what? The, the deceiver himself will give you all the reasons that you need to do the wrong thing. Abram should have said, God promised me children and I don't have them yet. Therefore, I know God's going to protect me and my family. And yet he didn't. His faith was being tested. And look at what happens in verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. You know, understanding the, the place Abram and, and Sarai have in God's redemptive plan, we realize this is very serious. This moment in time, God does not want Sarai's womb to be defiled by a Gentile king. Why? Because the Messiah would come from her line as a descendant. So look at verse 16 to the end. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Abram, or sorry, Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh ordered, or gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that they had. God's divine protection here shows up that it, if in this moment, Abraham would have trusted in God and told the truth, everything would have been just fine. Just fine. God did not call back on the promise that he gave to Abraham. Why? Because the promise depended on God, not on Abram. Sadly, a pagan king had to rebuke Abram, but God is in the business of growing Abram into a great man of faith, and this required circumstances that were beyond Abram's control. So last thing I want you to note this morning, the last two things. Faith is not a mushroom that grows overnight in damp soil. It's an oak tree that grows for thousands of years under the blast of the wind and rain. It's not something that just occurs like that. It comes from a testing of time, which is our final point. Our faith is going to be tested. Our faith is going to be tested. You know, as soon as Abram arrived in Canaan, he experienced the most severe test of famine. And now imagine what must have gone through Abram's mind. I came all of this way for this. God, I, I thought that Canaan would be the land of blessing. Imagine his wife's response coming to this place that they said God was leading us to, and now a famine comes. Imagine what Sarai would have said. I told you we should not have come here. Anyone, anyone have those conversations with your spouse before? Does it sound familiar to you? How many times have we said, God, I deserve better than this? How many times have we said, I tried to serve you and live for you, and this is what I get for my efforts? Because of the famine, Abram and his entourage head to Egypt, and he, he enters Egypt, and fear begins to grip his heart as he begins to think about his beautiful wife and the hands of the Egyptians. 
I always have thought it odd that he did not think twice about wanting to protect her. He only thought about himself. Selfish man. In unbelief, Abraham feels the need to protect himself, and so he manipulated his wife into lying for him. And in a weak moment, he turned from trusting God to fearing for his own safety. You know, when we take our eyes off of the Lord, threatening circumstances will always get the best of us. Always. Fear, insecurity, unbelief, they will all rise in our hearts and will lead us to a place of making bad decisions every single time. It always does. How often do we try to take matters into our own hands and we threaten the very promises that God gave to us? So I just have a question I want to leave us with this morning. What what promise of God are you not walking in for your life? You know there are over 3,000 promises to the believer in the Bible. 3,000 promises to the believer. How often how often do we try to do things our own way? We miss, we miss the blessing. What, what area do you need to step out in faith no matter the obstacle, no matter the testing? What area do you need to... Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's serving. Maybe, maybe it's, it's getting alone with the Lord because you haven't done so in a while. Maybe it's picking up your Bible and begin to read it and seek after Him. Maybe it's coming out on Wednesday nights to Bible study and connecting with a smaller group of people. Diving deeper into the Word of God. Whatever it is, it's between you and God. I know He's already placed something on your mind this morning. So my challenge is, take a step this morning. Take a step of faith as you leave from this place. Do something different, because what you've been doing is probably not working, right? Let's pray. God, we can come to you in this place and we thank you. We thank you, God, for this amazing account of, of a man that we, we hear and see as, as a giant of the faith. But God, I'm asking that we would learn from, from his disobedience, that we would learn from his half-obedience, that we would learn from these, these different verses that we've looked at on, on faith, that we would take steps, God, to, to, to know that we're drawing our 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 lives closer to holiness in your word. I ask God to give us strength for this week. Pray that you would give us protection as we go out into our our workplaces, our homes. God, give us uh, moments of divine encounters where we can share hope with the people around us. I ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Um, if you had not had an opportunity to give, you can do so at this time. Just remember, youth group starts at 4.30. And I will see you Wednesday at 6.30 downstairs as we dive into the next chapters of the book of Revelation. I love you guys, and you are sent.